Hey, it's Jay, and I'm still hard at work behind the scenes on two new and original podcast series. I, I can't wait to share them with you. It's just that, you know, these things take time. So we thought we'd be live with at least one of them at the end of October. That is not the case. It's all good. We actually managed to book a final guest for season one of one of these two shows that we would not have reached otherwise. So it's a good thing, but we did have to delay to make sure we round out that season. But that means in the meantime, I didn't really have anything prepared for Unthinkable. That's always a sense of guilt that I have when I work on other things. It's like I, I don't have something for you. Uh, and this is kind of like my creative laboratory publicly so I always want to be doing something here so here's what I'm going to do I'm going to try something different and we're going to call it uh, small ideas with big impact let's see if, if you like this please let me know and I'll continue to do stuff like this but today I wanted to share five small ideas with big impact hope you enjoy it's short it's to the point it's useful Keep it going. It's unthinkable. Stories of conventional thinking in our work and the people who dare to question it. I'm Jay Akunzo. If I had one wish for makers and builders of all kinds of things, it would be that we never heard the word creative. It sounds a little weird, so let me just explain. I want to rebrand the type of career path that we tend to dub creative careers, and I'd strip away all the moments that we use the very word creative. And there are a ton. We refer to people who make stuff that we admire as creative, while some industries even call the professionals who make stuff creatives. All of this hides the truth. Our jobs aren't to be creative. Our jobs are to create we spend so much time debating, questioning ourselves, thinking we can find the answer somewhere out there, or maybe meeting with one more person just to pick their brains, or perhaps we go on another YouTube or podcasting or article binge to gain inspiration. We hop between processes and note-taking apps, or maybe a new notebook, and we tinker with tools and technologies in our office setup, all professing to help us be creative. In all of it, the most important thing is missing creating stuff. It's not glamorous. It's not public. It's a grind of constant improvement, of gnawing on lots and lots of problems in private and fighting with lots and lots of projects that we inevitably put out publicly. It's constant forward motion because that's all careers really are in the end. All the while, we have this goal of constant improvement as we move forward. We can use side projects, community projects, or work projects. It doesn't matter. It also doesn't matter that we have the idea. What actually matters is we turn ideas into action. That's how we can take that next step forward or attract that one person to consume our work, which turns into two, which turns into three. The results of doing anything consistently compound across years and years of a daily creative practice. Just make a ton of stuff consistently all the time. I swear you'll be amazed at what happens. Stop trying to be creative. Go create. Share your work. Get feedback. Improve. Every single stinking day. Forever. That's all a creative career really is. Congratulations. You've officially made it in your career. So what's different? What does that look like? 
I'm not sure I can say anyone's version of making it is exactly the same as anyone else's, but I can say with certainty two things. One, everyone is disappointed when they reach the point that they thought was making it. And two, making it is about a behavior trait we exhibit, not a destination we reach. So why, number one, why is everybody disappointed when they reach the point they thought was making it? We look at people that we admire, or we plot our own course towards the future, and we think, if I can just have X, or do Y, or reach Z, I'll be happy. I'll be satisfied. I'll know. I'll have made it. But then what happens? We reach that point, or we talk to those who have, and the same reaction always takes place. It's like, I'm here now. Cool. I did that thing. Great. Okay, then. Uh, what's next? It turns out that enough is a decision we make, not a destination we reach. That's the disappointment that we all feel. It's not just do X and you're good. It's only one continual journey until you decide to stop working or it's decided for you. So that's the problem with making it, that destination in the future. Once you reach it, it's like, great, what else? What about number two, that behavior trait that we can exhibit to know that we've quote unquote made it? It's the very same trait that defines any thriving career at all, the lifelong journey that we're on until we decide to stop. That trait is the ability to be proactive in our work. In some jobs and some careers, people merely react. They're told to do something, whether overtly by a boss or a client, or implicitly by a culture or a trend in the market or inside the organization. They just react. They're not proactive. So how do we know when we've made it? I think it's when we're being proactive more often than not. When most or all of what we do is our decision. We chose it. We get to do that work. We don't have to do it. So I'd ask you, have you made it? You can make it a lot sooner than you think because it doesn't take nearly as much time or money or fame or traditional sense of accomplishment as you might think. In fact, you could make it today. When you're proactive about what you do, That's how you'll know you've made it. You ever wrap up a pair of headphones into a nice neat circle and jam it into your pocket? What happens when you take it out later? Somehow, inevitably, those headphones always come out all tangled up. It's like, oh great, all I wanted was to listen to some music or maybe a podcast, but now I get a puzzle. The only way to untangle that mess is to just start. You pull one thing, nope, that didn't work. You pull another, and yep, that's a bit better. You pull and slide and push and prod until finally you have some semblance of a plan, until it all happens a lot faster and it's finally what you wanted in the first place. This is the creative process perfectly summed up. What's the ROI? My boss wants us to show ROI. This doesn't have to show direct ROI, so I don't know, let's call it brand marketing or culture building stuff or whatever. This idea seems to plague everybody in business, and yet we all think we're alone in this fight. ROI. We either want to prove what we're doing is working by pointing to direct sales or leads or results, or we have to prove it. It's easy to think that the problem is proving ROI. This leads to certain behaviors as a result. 
We look for the right technologies to help us measure stuff. We approve the ideas that feel easy to measure. And we reject the stuff that doesn't feel quite so easy to track. It feels like the stressful part of ROI is the ability to prove something. And while that's certainly a challenge, I don't think it's the foundational issue behind all the internal battles, or at least the headaches that we feel when we talk about ROI. No, I think the real issue is that we've stopped understanding what we mean when we say the phrase itself. When we say ROI, how often do we really mean the I part? Return on investment. Most actual investments are longer-term plays designed to yield steadily compounding gains over time. When we talk about investments, we're talking about it from the standpoint of our delivering capital into something else, but the reason we yield a profit down the road is that the thing we've invested the money into benefits from receiving that money and then doing the work over time. We are contributing to the overall success of something in some small or large way with our dollars. Then it grows in value, then we extract that value later. When we say ROI in the workplace, I don't think we can ignore the fact that we've largely stopped caring about the I part and everything that it implies. So what do most people say or mean when they say ROI? Purchase. They mean purchase. Go out to the giant store that is the internet or one channel or one idea and purchase the result we seek. Do X because that gives us Y soon. That level of direct transactional value isn't an investment at all. It's a purchase. At best, when we say ROI, what we really mean is a day trade, a quick injection of capital in order to then quickly extract a tiny bit more value within the next few hours or weeks or months or a quarter. This is unsustainable and short-sighted, and again, it's still the best case scenario because mostly we mean return on purchase, not return on investment. So, ask those around you, which is it, ROI or ROP? It can't be both. The science is inescapable. Constraints breed creativity. Creative freedom doesn't work. Just think for a moment about a project where you have total freedom. Here, I'll give you one such task right now. Write a blog post about anything. Right away, we already have a few constraints that our brains have to grapple with. Write. Put your thoughts into complete sentences using the language that you know. A blog post, whatever you picture when you hear blog post, you're now anchoring to that notion in your head. About anything, we understand here that we should pull from the entire universe of things but since we're incapable of being a general idea of one, and you can only be you, you'll inevitably pull from your list of anything, work, hobbies, personal interests, observations from your life, and so forth. Write a blog post about anything. Without me sounding like I'm giving you a bunch of constraints, just by giving you an action to do, our brains have automatically begun constructing constraints. It's begun constructing the walls of the box. Next, when we're given that open-ended command, write a blog post about anything, we now proactively and consciously move to more obvious constraints, constraints we actually want to seek out. When will I write this thing? Using what app? How long will the article be? Any stories or ideas I already have percolating? Do I need to submit this to you, Jay? And by when? And how do I give it to you? 
we are incapable of action when given total freedom. Because complete and total freedom, or at least how we interpret that idea, the total lack of constraints, that literally cannot exist in the creative process. So when we say, think outside the box, it's a sign that we, or more commonly the corporate overlord willing to sound so cliche as to say that phrase, we or they don't understand creativity. Because it's literally impossible to think outside of all boxes. Our brains immediately begin to construct one the moment we start thinking or doing anything. So, a far better question to ask. When we say, think outside the box, which box do you mean? So often, when we yearn for creative freedom, what we're actually yearning for is one of two different things. A, we want a different box than the one we're in, or B, We don't understand the walls of the box we're already in, so we keep smashing into what feel like invisible walls. So we want a different box or clarity on the box we're in. Think outside the box. Okay, but which box do you mean? Do you mean the box where the walls are made up of historical norms at our company? Do we mean the box that fits us into a mold of what someone in our position is supposed to act like? Or do we mean the box that shapes who we are as individuals, because I'm quite certain I can't demolish those walls. What about the box that helps us understand who we're serving on the receiving end of our work? Or the wall of our jobs box that has that big painted sign, budget, $5,000, deadline, December 5th. Do we knock that down? And which box do we build so that we can truly get creative? Because we can't think outside of all boxes, so we need a new box, or maybe a new wall within our existing box. When we want to do exceptional work, the science is inescapable. Constraints are strengths. We don't need freedom. We need a better box, or we need clarity around the box that we're in. So what now? Well, if you're a team leader, help your team understand and agree on the walls of the box. Frustration comes from when they dislike their current situation, their current box, or they run into walls they didn't even know were there because you failed to make them clear. Then, crucially, once the box has been made clear, stay out of the box. Meddling can also lead to frustration and the desire for creative, quote-unquote, freedom, aka a different box. If you're not a leader, if you're an individual contributor— proactively ask about constraints. You should want to know time, budget, team resources, inspirational sources, you name it. Help shape the walls of the box. It may seem counterintuitive, but it yields more ideas and more effective ideas. Creative freedom doesn't work. It doesn't even exist. Think outside the box? That's missing the truth entirely. Which box do you mean? Okay, I hope you enjoyed this experimental episode. Again, Unthinkable has always been my creative laboratory. I think I got wedded to one style of episode and telling these rigorous stories. And don't get me wrong, I really love that. But with this episode, maybe I found something new. You let me know. Also, I can't wait to roll out those two podcasts. It's not a tease. I am working on those two shows. My goal is to launch one in uh, November and one in December. One is for a client and one is for 
uh, my organization, Marketing Showrunners, both of which will appear right in this feed on Unthinkable so you can get a sample or perhaps every episode if you like it. As always, thank you so much for listening to Unthinkable. Thank you for sticking around with me as I experiment and move and tweak stuff and tinker. It's just, that's what I love. I just love to tinker. Uh, and, I, and I hope you do too. I hope these ideas from today help you do exactly that. I'm Jay Kunzo, and I'll talk to you on the next episode of the show. See ya.